of phantoms and monsters. They exist among us, and sometimes they win. Even the devil was an angel once. The world has its own rules, and these rules are not human. Some of us seek answers to the origin and existence of cryptids and the unexplained. Join us as we venture beyond the known and accepted boundaries. Welcome to our nightmare. I think you're going to like it. Hey folks, good evening and welcome to Phantoms of Monsters Personal Reports. I will narrate and discuss some of the cryptid and unexplained sightings and encounters submitted to Phantoms of Monsters and Phantoms of Monsters 14 Research Team. So thanks for joining me. Uh, Phantoms of Monsters Radio Channel is made possible by you clicking on the subscribe and like buttons and by you sharing our programming. Super chat and super thanks donations are always appreciated. You can click the dollar icon located below the chat box. The buy me a coffee link and banner are also on the site. Uh, thanks for your consideration. I want to welcome all new members to the channel as well as first timers in the chat. If you're listening to me for the first time, please like and subscribe to the channel. Now, if you're in the chat and have a question, Please use all caps. I will try to reach each one after my presentation, and I will let you know when I'm on the last account so you can start posting your questions. So tonight, we're going to be talking about Bigfoot. Ever since that unforgettable morning of May 9th, 1981, when I had my Bigfoot encounter, I constantly ask myself, what did I see that day, and what what did happen to me or why did it happen to me? I can guess that most eyewitnesses to these amazing creatures ask themselves similar questions, but imagine you're in a secluded location or the wilderness and need assistance, which arrives in the form of a massive hairy biped or say you're simply minding your own business and then suddenly face-to-face -face with a terrifying unknown beast. How would you react? These reports that I'm about to read are from ordinary people who, for whatever reason, find themselves in a truly unique situation. Put yourself in their shoes and try to imagine what they were thinking. So relax and listen. I will present the reports in detail and afterward, I will attempt to answer your questions from the chat. So, um, I got to ask if this first, in this first <laughs> account is pretty wild. But I have to say, was the need for pain relief so desperate that Bigfoot broke into a secure marijuana grow shed to access the plants? Well, I first want to state the following. I believe this to be a truthful account. And, uh, in fact, I, I mentioned and discussed the incident with the, uh, the, the FAMS Monsters 14 research team right after I talked to the witness. Uh, 
which was about two or three years ago. Now, with that stated, here's the account. I was contacted by BR by telephone. The witness had several questions about Bigfoot before he told me what had had, what he had encountered. The reason for the questions was because BR did not believe in the phenomenon until he had this experience. He seemed reluctant to talk at first, but was assured that I had heard many hard-to-believe Bigfoot encounters over the years. Little did I know I was about to hear a remarkable account. Now, BR is a licensed personal-use marijuana, medical marijuana grower who resides in Minnesota. The general location of the incident is in Carlton County in a forested area near the Kettle Creek or Kettle River. To avoid uh, theft of his plants, BR built a secure 10 by 12 foot growing shed on a piece of property that he owned. Now, the shed was built out of reinforced cement blocks with vertical steel girders placed every six inches along the inside wall. He also had a heavy steel vault door fitted with large tempered lock. The inside of the shed was eight foot from ceiling to floor with heated humidity control, grow lights, etc. Uh, the entire setup was very expensive, including the electrical service that he had wired in from the main grid. Needless to say, BR did not want any people messing with these plants. Now, according to the witness, he kept anywhere from 15 to 20 plants at one time. He was also growing for two other licensed medical marijuana users. These systems had been doing well for a year or so without any incident. Then, uh, a few months before he contacted me, BR traveled to his growing shed and immediately noticed that the steel vault door had been tampered with. There were scratches all around the outside face of the door, and the jam had been slightly bent away from the cement blocks. It was difficult for BR to open the door after unlocking it. He figured that someone had attempted to force their way into the shed, but was unable to gain access. None of the plants were tampered with, so BR fixed the door with additional reinforcement. So everything seemed fine for about three weeks. But then there was another attempt to break into the shed. This time, a large hole was, was created through the cement wall, and one of the steel girders had been pushed out of its mooring in the concrete floor. Whoever gained access was able to reach into the shed and pull up a few plants. Now, PR was confounded by the effort taken in order to gain access. There was snow on the ground, and it indicated that there had been significant activity, but BR didn't notice any prints or other evidence. Not even a shoe print or track from any equipment that could have been used to create the breach. He then decided to scout out the location. He repaired the wall and then decided that he needed to set up a campsite nearby to catch whoever was messing with his property. He was ready for the long haul. He set up a large tent about 30 yards from the shed and brought enough supplies to keep him comfortable for a week or more. He also installed outside lighting around the top of the shed. 
Now, after a few nights, everything seemed to be quiet. The only movement that he noticed in the forest was one visit from a black bear and an occasional deer here and there. Then one evening around twilight, he heard cracking sounds coming from the direction of the shed. There was enough light to see movement, though the lights around the shed had not come on yet since it was set on a timer. Now, as BR focused in at about 20 yards, he could see light escaping from the shed onto the adjacent trees from the far wall. Something had breached the shed. What he witnessed next was a complete and utter shock. Stepping away around the shed was an eight to nine foot tall Bigfoot carrying at least six plants. As BR watched, he observed the creature literally place one of the long stems of the plant into its mouth and strip off the leaves and buds. He watched Bigfoot chew the contents while walking away towards the forest. Now, I asked BR if uh, Bigfoot acknowledged his presence. He answered that the Bigfoot looked in his direction for a second, turned, and walked away. He said that it did glance back at him one more time, but continued to move into the forest. He then noticed other activity and sounds coming from the surrounding area. Now, he is positive that there are other several, uh, several other Bigfoot nearby during the incident. As his description was of a massive frame with a conical head covered in dark auburn-colored hair, now, the face had sparse hair, and that the features of the face were noticeable. Yar mentioned that he, had, he could literally see the whites of the eyes, which seemed to glow a bit. The face was very ape-like with a large, wide, flat nose. He also mentioned that he could clearly see the fingernails on one of its large hands. The gait was also very unusual, as if it picked up its feet higher than a human when it walked. He's able to see the bottom of the feet as it walked away. I asked if there was an opportunity to take a photograph, but he said that his phone had been turned off to save the battery while he was going to be in the forest for several days. Now, this incident occurred about two weeks previous to him calling me. He had since begun building another growth shed in another location several miles away. He repaired, the, he repaired the previous shed and has begun to place trail cameras at the location. He is determined to gather evidence, either photographic and or physical. He does have one of the stems that was stripped and hoped to have it tested for saliva or touch DNA. Uh, he and I plan to keep in contact. Hopefully, I can provide proof soon. Now, I, I will say, first of all, he did get back to me about a month or so afterward, and he told me that the Bigfoot had not returned. So I had to ask, was the Bigfoot interested in marijuana for possible pain control or simply for hallucin hallucination effects? Now, according to some of the team and other investigators, there have been instances of Bigfoot pulling illegal marijuana plants in the Pacific Northwest and Northern California. Also, the native people had mentioned these creatures use, use of herbs and plants. It seems to me the determination to gain access to the plant by this Bigfoot was for medical reasons or medicinal reasons. So 
take it for what it is, but uh, it's a pretty unusual story. I have heard of, um, I have also heard of Bigfoot getting into GRU areas um, in uh, in Northern California. So, um, in a way, and I heard a lot of that after this account had been sent to me. <clears throat> this next account, a woman is lost in a Northern Idaho wilderness. A search and rescue team leader describes the strange circumstances circumstances that occurred during the search and how it involved Bigfoot. The witness states, I live in Eastern Washington and I'm a 27 year firefighter paramedic veteran. I volunteer with several search and rescue teams from Washington to Idaho. In the late spring of 19, excuse me, of 2014, I was on vacation at my son and daughter-in-law's home in Northern Idaho when over the local news, they announced the need for trained rescue members to help search for a family of five that were lost for two days. I traveled with my seasonal rescue equipment, so I'm always prepared. I drove an hour and 45 minutes with my son to a northern Idaho town out of Bonner's Ferry, where the command center was. We divided into teams of seven. Everyone from all over the north came out to help. I took the lead of my team and searched the high country at the border of Montana and Idaho. And when we arrived, we met a Montana conservation officer. He told us that the father and child had made it out, but he had to leave his wife because her hip seemed to be broken and she couldn't walk. He had left the 357 Magnum pistol with her for protection and signal for rescuers. She also had a whistle. Now, as we headed up the mountain, after one hour, we ran into three search volunteers that were gassed from the off-trail search. As they followed the sound of the whistle, they said that they, they followed the whistle sound into the big timber but couldn't catch up to it. Now, confused by this report, we marked their last GPS area on our map and proceeded to that area. It was 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and the weather was sunny and dry. We heard a faint whistle sound come from a ridge roughly a half mile ahead. We thought, awesome, we found her. This is when things got weird. We hiked, we hiked maybe a 1,000 feet when we heard the whistle again. This time, it was closer. We yelled out to her, but with no reply. We walked another 500 feet when this time the whistle was now blowing constantly, always ahead of us. Our trail was coming to an end. It turned into a narrow game trail. I pulled out the map and GPS to check where we were. We were in the correct area, but it didn't match the husband's description. We all talked it over. This time, out of the seven of us, four voted to continue to follow this now loud blowing and constant whistle. Through the timber, across the creek's upper rock wall to a meadow, we found her. I radioed to command. We have her. Send the helicopter. She is unconscious. As I set an IV and other medicals, and the other medics stabilized her pelvis. The others cleared out the brush and branches so the prop wash from the airlift wouldn't hurt anyone. 
One of the members walked over and handed me a bright orange whistle on a lanyard that she said she found hanging on a tree limb 35 yards away. Now, that freaked us out. How the hell did she blow that whistle? She was unconscious. There were no other hikers on the mountain that we saw, and the area where the whistle was hanging was above a cliff just yards away. After she was recovered by a life flight helicopter, we headed out to the command center. The sheriff greeted us. He took us aside and asked all of us if we saw anything strange. Apparently, when the helicopter was approaching, they both saw a large creature walking away from where we were. We told them about the traveling whistle and how it kept moving as we followed, and that's how we found the victim. Now, I've heard stories of people being helped by these creatures, or Bigfoot as you call them. There are nine of us, a sheriff, two firefighters, me, and others who experienced this wonder. Now, I had to tell you, this is, a, this is one of the wilder accounts I've heard re involving Bigfoot. But I have heard similar uh, experiences coming from res you know, search and rescue teams. So, um, yeah, that's uh, a pretty good one. Now, in this next account, the last thing you expect to see while spending a quiet day fishing is a Bigfoot moving about on the shoreline and throwing rocks. A Kentucky, a Kentucky native describes her frightening encounter in April 2001. Dear Lon, I currently live in southern Illinois with my husband. I grew up in rural Lyon County, Kentucky, and at home in the woods and around the water. My dad and I spent many weekends fishing. One early April 2001 morning, when I was 14, we pulled the boat out of the slip and headed south into Lake Barkley. It was an extremely overcast day with heavy fog. In fact, we almost canceled that day. About an hour after we moved into the river, the sun broke through the clouds and the fog started to lift. So Dad said he wanted to try out the brush piles in one of the shallow bays off the land between the lakes area. Dad pulled into one of the bays and dropped anchor. We then started fishing off the brush piles. I can remember that we were landing crappy and were having a very good morning. After an hour... Things slowed down, so we decided to have some lunch. We sat in the boat, eating about 100 foot from the shore. I think it was close to noon, but I'm not positive. We had finished eating, and Dad started to pull the anchor when we heard a loud splash. We looked towards the brush pile, and again, there was a large, loud splash. Dad thought someone was throwing rocks, so he said that we needed to find another location. We started to pull off towards the main lake when I happened to glance a look at a man walking along the shore after it walked from behind the brush pile. Then I noticed that this was not a man because it had hair all over its entire body. It was a Bigfoot. I yelled at Dad and he looked as I pointed towards it. He cut the motor off and we sat there watching Bigfoot throw rocks into the water. It looked like it was trying to hit something. We watched for several minutes as Bigfoot moved in and out of the brush on shore. Now, Dad wanted to get a, 
get closer so he could take a picture with his phone. But I was scared, and I begged him to leave. The water was shallow, and I was afraid he would get mad and attack us. He tried to get a photo, but for some reason, the phone wasn't working correctly. We then noticed that there was a smaller boat heading towards us. There was a man on the motor, and as he came near, he cut the motor and looked towards the Bigfoot. He saw it because he looked back at us with a surprised look on his face. Dad was alarmed and said that we were leaving. By this time, he was upset that someone else had seen us observing the Bigfoot. He recognized the man in the boat. My dad was well known in the area, and he was worried that it would uh, what happened if his name what would happen if his name was associated with a Bigfoot sighting. And when we got home that evening and we told mom what we saw, she was upset as well. That's as far as the story went. I was told never to tell anyone what we had seen because it would create problems. Now, I told the story to my husband not long after we were married. His reaction was favorable, and he showed interest in what we saw. I guess when we refer to ourselves as Bigfoot enthusiasts, that's my story. And I wish to remain anonymous because of my parents' fear of ridicule, and thanks for reading. Now, I contacted the witness to get a description of Bigfoot. She states that it was about six and a half to seven foot tall, very broad in the shoulders. The hair was very thick and dark brown. She couldn't estimate the weight. I asked if it was bipedal the entire time she observed it, which she acknowledged. She believes that they viewed Bigfoot for almost 10 minutes, which I believe is remarkable. Uh, she was not aware of the supernatural lore about the area, particularly of the beast of the land between the lakes, which is where this occurred at. So in this next account, two Vietnam vets were driving through the Cascade Mountains, eventually stopping near Dodge, Oregon. They encountered a Sasquatch family group and described an amazing experience. The witness, age 73, asked not to be named, recalled an incident in 2004 which he claims that he encountered a family of Bigfoot. He and his friend were both Vietnam veterans. Uh, the witness served between 1970 and 1971. Now, at the time, his friend needed a ride to the VA in Portland. While driving back to their homes in Estacada, Oregon, they decided to cut through the Cascade Mountains and stop at a small town known as Dodge, where an unused scaling station set. The witness had hunted this area previously and observed a dead deer 20 feet up in a tree in the 1990s. He found a 19-inch foot impression in the dirt to the west of the station. Now, after taking numerous back roads and side roads, they finally arrived there. The location was mostly overgrown. They, they curiously found piles of deer bones neatly separated. They also found some trees down, which had, uh, they had to climb over. I states, I had no background or history about this station, so I didn't know what it had or had not, when it had or had not been used. We decided to go in for the first 50 feet or so. You could see around okay. Now, after that, it was overgrown. You can see almost nothing but the little skid road we were on. At 50 feet, we came across a series of five or six alder trees, eight feet tall, that were three inches in diameter. 
It had they had been pulled out of the ground and laid across the skid road. All these trees were oriented the same way. Twelve-inch diameter root wads were exposed. Green leaves were still in the trees. We walked over and around these, and then around them another hundred feet, just to get to the old skid where the old skid road stopped. We stood there looking around. We did notice two things that were not normal on the northwest side. There was a large rock, three feet in diameter, covered with moss, that was laying on its side with the bottom exposed. It was leaning up against a small tree, and the bottom of the rock was bare. I'd guess that rock weighed well over 100 pounds, and all the rocks around there were about the same size. But when a creek rock ends up five to 600 yards from a known creek bottom, you got to wonder. Now, next to the rock and slightly above it, its left was a uh, small vine maple tree. One of its bottom branches had been twisted around in a complete circle. The size of the vine maple opening was one foot. All behind that, the, all behind that tree was nothing but heavy berry bushes. I bent down to look at the circle and then asked my friend to take some pictures as I'd seen this kind of activity before, not too far away. Now, after he took his pictures, I bent down again and was looking through the opening and saw a pair of eyes three feet in, looking right back at me. The face was that of a small childlike creature with lots of reddish hair and black, reddish brown and black hair. Its head was pointed at the top. It looked at me, then looked back over its left shoulder. Then it looked at me, back at me again. I looked where it was looking, and there sat an, another one about the same size right next to it. What was interesting about that was the second one was holding you in a smaller one in its arms. I stood up, told my friend, and then he looked, and he saw him also. We stepped back, not talking or making any noise, and then a very large adult showed itself to us. It was all black, hairy, and had dark, round pupils. The part of the eyes that are white were red, or normally white were red. It was half upright, half down on its feet. It had its mouth open like it was not pleased that we were around there and could see its teeth. Well, they were all white and very squarish in shape. Its canine teeth were a little bit longer but flat on the top. There were no pointed teeth that I saw. Its arms were spread open, I guess about eight feet, and each hand had hold of a branch of a tree. My guess is looking at us, just sitting up on its butt, but its head was above all the very, the very bushes, and my guess, while I was sitting there, it was still five feet tall. We're standing ten feet away, or less, from these creatures, and neither of us felt afraid. I looked at its eyes again. And from either side of the edges of its eyes, you could see there were membranes on the eyes, not eyelids. They were between the eyes and the eyelid. They were also red. Also, my guess with the membrane in its eyes is they pull those on during the uh, daylight to protect their eyes. I'm not a biologist, but I've never seen any creature that had that membrane in its eyes. The hair on top of its head was pointed. 
Its skin was a gray-black color with no hair that I could see on its face or the bottom of its hands. Its lips were narrow gash slashes, and its nose was not flat nor very wide, but a little wider than ours and shaped the same. Its ears looked to be about the same size as ours, but were set a little higher on its head than ours, or maybe it just looked that way due to the size of this massive jaw. Its hands were large, and I estimate they looked to be twice the size of our hands or more. Now, neither of us felt threatened. We must have stood there for at least two or more minutes staring at each other. Two or more minutes and 10 feet or less in the wild with anything is, is like two lifetimes. We could hear other noises coming from the woods around us. So without talking and making any noise, we both turned and slowly walked out the old skid road, climbing over the stacked trees. Now we didn't talk until we were back inside the truck. My friend then asked me just what it was we saw. I said, I think we encountered a Sasquatch family. We watched the woods a little more, saw no movement, and then decided to leave. Now, my friend has since passed away. I've been back to the location at least a couple more times over the years. But the logging company that owned the land, they sold it, and it's been logged out. Now the government owns the land, and it's inaccessible. Now, this next account, two young men were on a cross-country road trip. One night, while stopped along a dark Oregon road to sleep, they were awakened by something pushing and moving the car. Now, back in June... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 2000 is when my encounter took place. One year out of high school, my buddy and I were driving around the country. We spent the entire month of June driving and camping our way all over the country, all the way from the East Coast to the West, making a huge circle around the United States. Halfway through the trip, somewhere in Oregon, I decided to just pull off the road one night and sleep until morning. No point trying to set up camp in the rain and in dark at some desolate road. My buddy didn't feel like driving at that point, so we parked not far off the, the side of the road. Again, we're in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. No GPS, no cell phone. We have an atlas with us that my father used to use as a truck driver. That was how we navigated. Anyway, within minutes... We were both passed out for a good couple hours when the car suddenly shakes. We figure it was probably a gust of wind since it was such bad weather. Well, less than five minutes later, the whole back end of the car got pushed about six feet in one direction. We both spun around and saw nothing but black out the back window. It was pitch black where we were. I immediately switched the headlights on and started the car. Still, nothing to be seen. At this point, I'm fully awake. Now, I remember this next part like it happened five minutes ago. Now, as I looked over at my buddy to tell him 
we were out of there, I could see that something was next to his window. It was something huge. I tried to speak, but nothing came out. My buddy was looking at me and was staring out and I, while I was staring out his window in shock and fear. I couldn't move. I was frozen. He then turned to see what was looking at him. Then at that moment, two giant yellow eyes appeared. They weren't right next to the car, but they were a short distance away. We were both frozen stiff. It was at this point the car got rocked again, this time side to side. That was enough to snap me out of whatever trance I was in. I slammed the car into drive and floored it. I remember almost losing control of the car as we hit the wet road. Now, my buddy was shaking so badly, I had a hard time steering. I drove until daybreak without taking my eyes off the road. Now, after that night, we cut our, sh our trip short. We both knew what we had seen. From what we can figure, this thing was crouched down staring at us with its hands still on top of the car. Now, after that, we both could see its eyes. It gave the car one last shove just to screw with us. And we did not camp another night as we stayed in hotels the next few nights until we got home. Now, until this day, I, I did not camp in remote areas. And whatever that thing was, it made it very clear that we weren't welcome. Now, the following account was relayed by a woman who states that she was canoeing, but started taking on water. Subsequently, she was rescued by a tribe of Bigfoot who nursed and protected her. She states, as I had been recently divorced inside to clear my head with a canoe camping trip, I planned to camp out for a few days and be picked up by my brother 12 miles down river. This normally would have been an easy, leisurely trip, but my canoe should have been retired years ago. I drove out to my launch point, locked up my truck, unloaded the canoe, and took off, knowing I would hit some small rapids a couple miles downriver. Now, when I did reach the rapids, my canoe started taking on water. Between trying to bail water and navigate the rapids, my canoe overturned and I was carried downstream. All I know is that shortly after turning, overturning, I blacked out. I don't know how long I was unconscious, but when I came to, I heard something pulling. I felt something pulling on the shoulders of my life jacket. My vision was still blurry as I looked up into the face of a very hairy person. When I reached out to touch my head, I came back with blood and my ankle felt a stabbing pain at every jostle. The hairy person pulled me to shore and left me alone under a tree. I was scared, not of the hairy person, because it seemed clear that it meant me no harm, but because I was right in the middle of grizzly and cougar country, badly injured, with no way, with no way to protect myself. I started calling weakly for help, shivering and moaning in pain. It wasn't long before the hairy person appeared, again carrying a spear-like branch and several others. I didn't have the strength to sit up, and my body felt like it was slipping into a warm slumber. I heard some loud splashes all around me and a fragrant smell reminiscent of honey nut cheerios came up around me. I also heard a sound near my head 
like that of a splat ball hitting the floor and a strong odor that wafted toward me made it clear what they were doing. They were marking their territory. A warm fog of sleep finally overtook me and I slept. Now, when I woke up to the uh, honey nut Cheerio smell, it was replaced with a strong ammonia, ammonia odor. The fragrant territory marker by my head wasn't the only one. There were similar markers around me as well. Near me was a small fire in a pile of wood, a pile of berries, and a crude clay bowl filled with water. Several hours must have passed because, because night had fallen and the forest behind me was dark. I was cared for, but alone. I, fit, I felt battered and exhausted, but I knew that I needed to stay alert that night. I could hear movement in the forest behind me. A cougar appeared. It came closer, but it didn't try to get much closer than about 10 yards. A bear appeared later, and it sniffed the air and turned away as well. The behavior of the wildlife made it clear that the territory markers were there for my protection, and I made sure to stay within the area that night. I took short sleeping breaks throughout the night, trying to rest as much as I could. When I woke around dawn the next day, I, I see my sleeping bag and backpack next to me. The sleeping bag was dry in the, in the stuff sack, but my backpack was wet. I had some non-perishable food and a first aid kit in there that were still good to use, and I got busy cleaning my wounds and eating a granola bar. I felt I had some of my strength back. I needed to ration my food before I tried to hike back out with my swollen purple ankle. As the sun rose higher in the sky, one of the hairy humans appeared and looked at the gear surrounding me. This time I was alert, and I took a close look at my caretaker. This one looked to be a male, and while it fit the description of what people call Bigfoot, I can't bring myself to calling him this name. These hairy humans were clearly intelligent, and to call them Bigfoot, the great Northern Amer North American ape, felt like an insult to its intelligence. His eyes settled on my knife, and he gestured towards it. I handed it to him, and he turned it over in his massive hands, looking at it closely. He stopped looking and handed the knife back to me, but I pushed it back towards him. I wanted him to have it and considered the, the spirit uh, the other one had I, had, I figured it would be useful to him. Now, out in the forest, the one with the spear returned and started uh, speaking in a deep, quick-sounding utterance to my caretaker. They locked their eyes on me and pointed upriver. I looked in that direction and pointed that way as well as they grunted at me when I turned back to them. They were already striding back to the forest and then where they were gone. I was sitting in the fragrant circle for a while waiting to see if they would return. But then I heard voices coming from the river. Before I could gather the strength to stand, people in an inflatable raft came into view. I yelled for help. I yelled that I was hurt, pointing to my head and ankle. They quickly paddled to the shore. They loaded me in the raft, and I left my gear behind during the extraction trip. My rescuers asked me what had happened. I told them er everything except for the hairy humans. 
it was crazy enough that they saw me sitting among territory piles. I didn't want them to think I completely lost my mind. I know my experience was unique compared to what other people have experienced with these hairy humans. Maybe the group I encountered was more advanced group of so-called Bigfoot. But to me, they will always be hairy humans. They rescued me from the river. They fed me. They kept me warm. And they even protected me in their strange way. If that doesn't make them more human than beast, I don't know what will. What I found fascinating about this was the fact that they had built a campfire. Now, were these Roy Bigfoot? Were these feral humans of some type? I have no idea. So here's the last account. And if you have questions, you can start posting them. When I was five year old, four years old, excuse me, when I was five years old back in 1943, I had an encounter that could have possibly been a Bigfoot. I was lost out in the woods while camping with my parents somewhere in central Ohio, and this large female ape-like creature put me back in our camp. Then I started screaming, and my parents, who were out looking for me, heard me and came to the camp and found me. Now, I had basically kept this account to myself these many years. I was a lawyer here in Summit County for nearly 40 years and did not need any aspirations or aspersions, excuse me, cast upon my sanity. I have had two cancer surgeries in the past six months, and I now like to tell my story. I'm grateful to these blessed cre- to the, that blessed creature for my life and would like to honor her memory in some way. So I later had a conversation with the witness. The subject stated he remembers being picked up by something. He saw its arm as he was being carried. He described that it looked to him like a gorilla woman. She had deep set, big brown eyes. Since it was so long ago, he doesn't remember detail except that it had a fox-like color of brownish, brownish red. It was covered, covered in coarse hair. He remembered being carried for what he thought had been 15 minutes or so. He described her as fast, strong, bigger than his father, who stood well over six feet. He recalls, be, recalls being held in an odor commonly described as dead or rotting meat. He stated that her teeth looked stained and that she had bad breath. I asked why a woman, and she, he said that he didn't know, but she acted that way. She had no enlarged breast. He also kept saying that she had deep brown eyes, but not so deeply cut into her skull. He said she took him and cut through the woods. He was terrified as he, as she held him in her right arm. He remembers how fast she walked and that she cut through the forest like butter, and she knew where she was going. He said he cried hard, was terrified, but she didn't. She didn't hurt him. She took him to a place where his parents eventually found him, and she put a heavy branch on his legs. So he could not move. And when he left, I asked him about her build, and he said she was solid with strong, wide shoulders. Since it was so long ago, there was a lot he couldn't remember. But he feels uh, she was, even though she looked so hairy, a female. This witness went on to say he spent the rest of his life not sharing his story, but after retiring, he thought, what the heck? 
and began sharing his experience. He mentioned that he could not get his parents to believe him. They passed it off as his imagination. The only adult he mentioned as believing him was his kindergarten teacher, and his father was thought thought to discredit her with the belief she held. I asked, what did your parents think of you being pinned down by a log or branch? And he reminded me that his parents were from the city in a state of panic, even hysterics, because he was missing. Being frightened so much of the woods in the dark and in the rain, they would have figured he would have never survived being lost. He presumed that his parents thought he might, it might have been a natural situation, such as a branch being blown down by the trees, regarding him being pinned by the heavy branch. As unlikely as that sounds, it, it's certainly more acceptable than what he described as happening to him at the time. Now, he feels this report is important and that it may help influence young people to share any unex- unusual experience that they have had. Now, back then, he had nowhere to go with it and nobody to talk to about it. And when he tried to talk about it, he was met with rejection. So after a while, he completely stopped since he only met one adult person who had ever believed him. So, folks, if you have questions, put them in the chat, and we'll see if we can get to them. Uh, Lucky Gypsy, thank you for the uh, the super sticker, and and Mortal Clown, thank you for the uh, for the donation as well. Much appreciated. We have any questions? I don't see any. <laughs> okay. Eric Thorvalson, as well, what is the association with portal Sasquatch and Orbs? Um, you know, that's a good question, but you know, it's something that a lot of us have been, been asking for a long time. I personally believe, and I think others do as well. Well, I know others do that Bigfoot and other cryptids are multi or ultra dimensional creatures, interdimensional creatures, and that they have the ability to move in and out of portals and the orbs, I believe or some type of energy indication of, of the portal or of other energies around them. Um, I've, I stated before many times someone will get a report and I've heard this many times from investigators. They'll get a report of a Bigfoot sighting and go to the, the area maybe a couple of days later and still see orb activity. A lot of times it sticks around now. Is, is that because there's still a portal about? Or is there another reason for it? You know, I, I don't know if we really have any idea what is really going on. But I think as time goes on, and hopefully as time goes on, we'll get some answers to that. Amy Crew, do you have a speculation as to why he was pinned down? Um, I... I, I guess it's true train of thoughts. I guess since he was young, the, the Bigfoot didn't want him getting up and wandering around. 
or maybe it was used to kind of uh, give his parents the thought that something had the tree, the tree limb had fallen and, and pinned him. And that's the reason why he was lost or why they couldn't find him. That's the only thing I can think of. Marla Snyder. What was up with the honey nut Cheerio smell? Do you get many reports of good smells associated with Bigfoot? No, very rarely. And that was a, a, another unique part of that, that story, as well as the campfire and a few other things. I don't know what it was from. And I don't know if she ever figured it out either because she never stated it. Um, but she did mention it, and it was very you know, very pointed about it. So uh, I don't know what it was, but it is interesting. And no, I don't get anything like that. Uh, B cab. Can you share your personal Bigfoot encounter? Oh man. Do we have, uh, do we have time? Well, okay. Now I'm going to do it briefly. It was 1981. I was in, um, was fishing along the uh, South branch Patapsco river outside of Sykesville, Maryland. Um, as I was fishing, there was a dog across the river and it, and this river is very narrow. And, um, I heard the dog yelp. And as I looked up, I saw this thing rise up out of the bushes. I could see it was hairy. I could see it was huge. And as it rose up, it moved to my left and walked out of the bushes to the uh, bank of the river and just stood there watching me. Uh, we were probably about 40 foot apart from each other and we locked eyes and we did that for about 10 seconds. So I got a very good look at it. It was definitely a male. I could see the genitalia. It was about seven and a half to eight foot tall from what I can recall. Uh, matted hair. It was dark Brown, maybe a tinge of red, but it was mostly dark Brown. It had a conical head. I have uh, posted pictures of it. I think it, myself, I, I believe that it looked more human than it did ape. And quite frankly, I've stated if I had a gun, I'd have never shot it because it looked human to me. Um, another aspect of the sighting was it was making a clicking sound. And I, I found out later that it may have been gnashing its teeth. Um, some type of nervous, some type of nervous sound it was making as it was watching me. I also noticed a, um, a, a slight odor that kind of reminded me of fox urine. So, um, but then after about 10 seconds, it turned around and walked quickly up into the woods. I went and reported this sighting and I was told to go back to the location uh, I was only like a mile away, a mile away from where I got to a phone and reported. So I was told to go back, which I wasn't happy about because I really didn't want to go back. But when I did go back, there was a um, there was a Maryland State Police officer already there, and they had they had a barricade across the road. So to me, they were following this thing for whatever reason. Now I did find out later it had been a sighting uh, down river earlier that day. Now. Why they were interested in this thing, I never found out. But I do do know after I left, after the, the state police officer ran me off, and I came back about an hour later, that there were people all over the place looking for this thing. And they had a white tent uh, built. I mean, they had put up a white tent across the river where I'd seen this thing. And uh, there were people going in and out of the woods with dogs and such. I heard helicopters. So there were search helicopters around there. 
there were authorities from our, every jurisdiction around our state, county, as well as fed. Uh, and I know it was feds because back in the early eighties used to drive the black wagoneers. So, um, yeah, so that was my encounter in a nutshell, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's something that you just never forget. Any other questions? Okay, folks, I want to thank each and all of you for watching and chatting. And if you donate, it's truly appreciated. Your support is what makes all this possible. Please like, subscribe, and share. And if you have a sighting or encounter report that you'd like to be considered for the uh, personal report show or for Phantoms and Monsters, you can reach me at lonstrickler at phantomsandmonsters.com. So until we meet again, you have a, a great weekend. and. Uh, Good night.